First John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as, a, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. Love is a uh, fascinating topic. We live in a world that has many definitions of love. A world where love is reduced to an emotion or a temporary and often weak sediment, often driven by selfish, momentary, and sensual passions. We live in a world that thrives on the news of quick fix love that flows out of Hollywood and flows out of uh, professional sports in our culture, the people that we idolize and, and, and tend to have high respect for within our culture, tend to practice a love that is not anything like the love that we see in Scripture. It is often a love that seems to be at many levels dysfunctional and at best broken. It is a love that is often only present when it is deserved and tossed quickly when failure is present in relationships. We know little of sa sacrificial and steadfast and permanent love. And so we, we wrestle to get our arms around it. We wrestle to understand what it is really like. Many people in our world question God's love. Because they're not sure that such a love is possible. And maybe you've felt that in your own heart at times. Is it possible that the love that I experience in my life could be a transforming, life-altering love? A, life that, a love that literally kind of edits and changes the life that we live that so deeply impacts and affects us. And this morning, I would like to say to you that I believe that that kind of love is in fact possible. And I believe that that kind of love is present around us, but often not experienced or seen by us. In this text, on two occasions... John says that God is love. Look in verse 8. In the, in the midst of the verse, it's, or at the end of the verse, I'm sorry, it says God is love. If you go to verse 16, in the middle of the verse, you find that statement again. God is love. So if I want to know what love is, what do I need to do? I need to start to examine love in relationship to God or as it is expressed by God towards us. What does it mean when it says God is love? Does it mean that all that God is, is love? That if you want to know what God is, just say God is love and that is everything that God is. Okay, I think we could argue against that by saying, well, no, because in John chapter 4, Jesus says that God is spirit. And in John chapter 1 and verse 5, it says that God is light. Okay, so love is not the, the essence of what God is. Love is an attribute of God. Love is a way that we can understand God. And it is a way that we can describe God. What does it mean when it says that God is love? Okay, here's one thing that it means. It means that love is present in eternity. Why? Because God is eternal. 
In Genesis chapter 1, we find the story of creation, and we find that creation takes place in a context of relationships. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. It says that God is making man in his image, and each time it talks about the creation of man, it says that God within the Godhead says, let us, the plurality within the Trinity, create man in our image. For what purpose? Why does God create everything else in creation different and then make man in his likeness, an image bearer? Why? So that we could know the love of God. Not simply as something that is academically understood, but as something that is personal to us. Because the God that created us is relational. Jesus can say in John, in John chapter 17, verse 26, he, he requests of the Father. He says, you loved me before the creation of the world. I have made you known to them. And I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me, this is Jesus saying, the love that you have for me, Father, may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So in the gospel, in the coming of Christ, what happens? God the Father is inviting redeemed sinners into fellowship with Him. Into this eternal relationship that has been present before we existed, before the world existed, there was love in the Godhead. It was the essence of the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. In John 17, what is Jesus saying? I want them, the redeemed, to know this love. And he literally prays for us to be swept into this understanding of amazing love present in eternity. A love that is an essential part of God's nature, but with the understanding that God is more than love. Love does not define God, but God defines love. If you want to know what love is like, what do you do? Look at God. Watch what he does. Look at his affections and passions. We could say this then. Whatever is true of God is true of his love. So if I want to try to get my arms around the love of God, I need to begin to look at the other attributes of God. So we find that God's love is a love that is holy. It's not a, it's not a soft, amicable Weak love. It is a love that the Bible says is strong as death. It is a love that is strong as many raging waters, the book of Song of Solomon says. It cannot be destroyed. It is a holy love because the God who loves us in John 1, 1 John 5 is the God who is light. It is also a love that is revealed in the sense that God is spirit. He is, his love is unrestricted. His love can be and is present everywhere. Why? Because that's where he is. There is no place where God is not. Therefore, there is no place where love is not present because God is love. His love is unchanging. James chapter 1 and verse 7 says this. His love is not like shifting shadows. God isn't like that. His love is not fickle like the love that we understand in the world that we live in. It's not off and on. It is not unreliable. He never has bad days. His love never varies in intensity. Folks, that is an amazing thought. Because all of our experiences of love have experienced what? Changeableness. A fickleness in human nature. We're subject to moods. Think of this. God is not subject to those things. There is no variation. He's not like shifting shadows. He doesn't change. A love that is fierce and committed, but it is also a love that is just. Lamentations 3, it says, because of his love, we are not consumed. His judgment is affected by his love. And his love permeates his judgment. That's why there is the possibility and potential of grace as you enjoy and love and know the love of God. 
It is an essential part of who God is. An amazing statement to ponder. God is love. Let's start with this definition of love then this morning. Love then is something like this from this text. It is the predisposition of God. Okay, when I say predisposition, what I mean is I don't get, I don't have to coerce God into giving me what I want. You ever watched a child do this in the grocery store? You know, on the way in, stick the little child in the cart and the, the, the child begins to bargain for your affection and love. If I'm good, what do I get? Right? That back and forth, well, you're not going to get anything. Well, I'm not going to be good. Well, if I'm good, though, I mean, if I do everything you have asked me to do, what am I going to get? So it, it becomes a love that is earned. And that tends to be how we think about love. The love that God has for us is a predisposition to do good for us and to us in spite of the cost to himself. A predisposition that the Bible repeatedly says existed when? Before the foundation of the world. He decided to love people that he knew would live in rebellion against him. Now that is the kind of love that you and I are not used to. I've never been at a wedding ceremony where someone said, you know what, I guarantee that today I'm going to make promises to you that I promise also I will break. Never seen that happen in a marriage ceremony. It's always true. It is always true that sinners break love covenants. Always. But nobody enters into the relationship knowing that it will be broken except for God. Who sets his love upon people before the foundation of the world. Now that is a love that, that, that goes beyond what I know. I don't, I don't find a friend that I think will betray me one day and love them so that they can experience the real depth of my life. I don't do that. But that's what, do you understand? That's what God did. So if I want to know what love is like, I have to study God's love primarily as it is revealed in the gospel. Now, when we say that God is love, and it's just important that we say this, it is not saying that God is like a good-natured grandfather, okay, who is indulgent, who puts up with and overlooks rebellion over and over and over. It just doesn't matter. No, because he is a God who loves and is at once holy. Okay, so these things run in parallel with each other. They never run in conflict with each other. They always run in parallel paths with each other. So Hebrews 12, 6 can say something like this. Those that the Lord loves, He disciplines. You know the King James, the word that came to your mind was He chastens. Okay? So it, it, it's a love that is fierce. It's devoted, it's committed, it is reliable, but it will sometimes express itself in corrective measures and ways because it is also holy. Okay, so in our culture, we tend to live in a world that thinks of God's love as somewhat universalistic, that it's poured out equally on all people. That is not what the Bible teaches. It says that his love is expressed to the world, John 3, but it's particularly experienced by who? By those that have come to faith in Christ as an experience of God's love and grace, right? And they know this love, but they know that it is undeserved. In the New Testament, the word that is popularized to describe the love of God is the word agape. All right? And agape basically was, was taken by the New Testament writers and used to emphasize the sacrificial, self-effacing nature of God's love. There are two other words that are used in the New Testament for love. One is philos, which is love of brothers, there's another word that is eros. We get our word erotic from it. It speaks of a sensual love. Both of those loves have what in common? They're reciprocal 
in nature. But the love that God chooses, the word that he chooses to describe his affection for you and I is a love that is the word agape, which means that it is a love that is self-effacing, self-sacrificing, predisposed to pay a price, to win your love, and to win your heart, and to forgive you. Okay, that's the love of God. It's not fickle. It's not a God who's overlooking sin. It is a God who takes sin seriously and yet chooses as the objects of his love sinners like you and I. So what is the aim of this text? The aim of this text in light of this background of love is that we would grasp, practice, and appreciate the love of God. That we would grasp. Think about what it is. Grasp it. Appreciate it affectionately. Live it out. Let it deeply affect and impact your life. Look at verse 16 with me real quickly in this text. Because it's, it's, it's very important that you see this. Verse 16. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. And that's the ending of a longer discussion. And so we know and rest in the love that God has for us. Which means what? The love of God is not something that we study academically. It's something that we study personally. So that in the end, we know it, not intellectually, not that we can spout it out in words, but that we know it by experience. That's the way John uses the word know in in this epistle. That we would know it and do what? And rest in it. So that in the undulations of life and the struggles and difficulties of life, what is the constant through the life of a believer? We know and rely on the love of God. The other thing I want to say to you, just before I get into a couple simple points, is this. In verse 7, notice what it says. It says, dear friends, let us love one another, for love of this kind, agape love, comes from God. Okay, so that when there is this love that is transformational, love that changes how you live, where did it come from? It came from God. So folks, please... Understand, love is not something you sit back and choose to say, you know what, I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm going to be self-effacing and self-sacrificing like Christ. No, this love comes from God. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, what does it say? It says the fruit of the Spirit is first, what? Love. This love that John is talking about comes from God. What does that mean? It means this, it is a miracle. When that kind of love, self-effacing, self-sacrificing, predisposed to benefit others, when that is present, that is from God. Okay, it is evidence of His presence. It is evidence of the outpouring of His grace. And it is that kind of love that John is saying now to the church. We should love one another because God loves us and like God loves us. So let's work our way through this text and make a few observations, three observations about the love that God has for us. Because God is love. First is this. God's sacrificial love is unearned or unmerited. Okay, it is an unearned love. It is unmerited. Verse 19 of chapter 4 says this. It says, we love because he first loved us. Okay, now what is this saying? It is saying that when it comes to who, who struck up the deal? Who went for it in the relationship? 
Okay? It is God who initiates a relationship with you and I. It is God who comes seeking us and desiring a relationship with us. So verse 9 of our text says this. This is how God showed his love among us. And the idea of showed here means something like this. To bring out into the open something that was previously unknown, undisclosed. Okay, so what happens? In the gospel, God is exposing us to his love. He is uncovering it. He is revealing a mystery. Something that we couldn't understand simply from nature. We can learn certain things about God. But here's something you will not learn about God from looking at nature. You will not learn about the love of God. He disclosed. He manifested it to us. The first time that God manifests his love in scripture is when? Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve have done what? They have turned their back on the God who created them to relate to them, turned their back on the God that used to come and walk with them in the cool of the day. In their sin, what do they do? They hide from the presence of God as they hear that he's coming. What does God do? God moves towards them in love. In love that is undeserved and it is initiated by him to do what? To perform a sacrifice that will bring them back into a relationship with him. It's the first time that love is present in the terms of an expression in the Bible. Who is it a love for? It's a love for rebels. It's what it always is with humanity. So this love that God has for us is an unearned or unmerited love. It is not a love that comes as a reward for things that we have done. Okay, this is why in terms of relating to your children, you should be very careful about buying behavior. Okay, that's called a bribe. That's not love. Okay? Sometimes it goes across as love. It's not love. Okay, love is when you are affectionate towards them and loving towards them in their rebellion. That's love. It is a love that is totally and completely free. So Romans 5, 8 will say, while we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his love to us. When we were in rebellion, not when we had turned and said, you know what, I am really thinking about finding God. I, really th- I realize my life is totally messed up, and so I'm going to turn towards him. Most people believe this, that when they made that turn, that transition, that the love of God then came to them. That is not true. This is a love that was decided upon before the foundation of the world. It is a love that was demonstrated, revealed, according to Romans 5.8. While we were yet sinners, Christ did what? Died for us. He didn't say, hey, if you promise to turn, I promise to die. No. It was a predisposition of God to pour out affection on undeserving people like you and I. It is not a reward for something we have done. It is why Paul will later say in 2 Timothy 1, he says, God has saved us and has called us to a holy life. Listen to this. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace, this kind of love that comes to us, that seeks us, was given to us in Christ. Listen, before the beginning of time, Folks, if you want to shock yourself, if you want to cause yourself by the power of the Spirit of God to appreciate the love of God that you experience, that you rest in and know and rely upon as a support for your life, realize it was expressed towards you 
Paul says, before the beginning of time, in eternity past, an eternal God loved you prior to anything that you could do or had done. That is amazing. So, so this love is unearned, unmerited. In fact, it works the opposite, doesn't it? What do I deserve? I deserve God's judgment, right? Why? Because I'm a sinner. I, I don't deserve God's love and deep affection. I deserve His wrath. Why? Because all sin and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. I don't deserve His affection. But in Jesus, what happens? I, I have it. And this is how we should say it. I've been born again. I've experienced God's love. I've been changed. It's, it's, it's all in reverse. Ephesians 2, verse 3. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, listen to this, like, just like everybody else. What is Paul saying? Paul's saying, I was rescued out of this broken pool of humanity. Like the rest, he says, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love, God, who is rich in mercy and is love itself, made us alive with Christ when we were dead in our transgressions and sins. It is by grace, Paul then says, you've been saved. Folks, what does that mean? It means I, when God's grace came and began to knock on the door of my heart and affect me and call me, I was dead, I was unresponsive. But because of his great love, what happened? He drew out of us a response of faith and repentance, trusting in his amazing and great love. You see, not only is the love unmerited, it's the exact opposite of what it deserved. I was by nature an object of wrath. That is to say what? I deserve God's judgment. What did I get? I got love. I got grace. Let's let that thought let that thought, this love, if you know this love of God, it is completely unearned and it is utterly undeserved. It is not like dating in the Western culture. It's not like going to the mall and falling in love with a puppy because it is so cute and so deserving of a loving home. That's what a lot of people say, well, I just, I, we, just we picked it up and that was it. What, is that, what is that? that? That's something in the object attracted you. Okay, when I met my wife, there was something about my wife that attracted, there was merit. It wasn't, it wasn't, and you know my wife, so you know this truly. It wasn't, I looked at her and said, the poor individual. You know, how much better their life would be if she knew me. <laughs> Believe me, okay? I thought how much better my life could be if I married her. Okay? God did not look at you that way. When he looked at us, what did he see? He saw us in our brokenness. And when we understand our brokenness, grace will be amplified and magnified. The love of God will become clearer. It will move us. And it will enable us to love the difficult people in our lives. J.I. Packard describes God's love as being spontaneous. Now, if you know anything about combustion, Okay, you know, some things combust because a spark is introduced in an engine and there's a, an explosion that takes place because a spark is introduced. God's love is spontaneous. I do not introduce a spark in response to the love that God shows to me. 
that causes it to really become what it really meant to be. To bring it to its full expression. God's love was in full expression at the cross of Christ, apart from any response on the part of this rebel. It is spontaneous. It occurs, Jad Packer says, without external influence or cause. For people, love is awakened, he says, by something in the loved. But God's love is free, unevoked, and uncaused. And folks, if you know Christ, if you know this love, do not owe it to anything in yourself. Do not owe it to, I made a good decision. No. Owe it to the grace of God that showed you your sin, that let you see the truth and drew you in amazing love into a relationship with Him. God's love, secondly, is clarified in Jesus. It is undeserved and it is therefore clarified in Jesus. Look at verse 10. This is love. And I just, I like the way this sets up. It's like you say, no, that's a basketball player or that's a football player or that's an attractive person. Okay, it's, this is love. What is it? There are all kinds of loves out there, right? But this is agape. This is God's love. This is what epitomizes it. You want to know what love is? Measure it by this. And when you measure it by this, you'll know that it is truly love if it measures up to that standard. And so John says, this is love. Not that we loved God. Now, are there times that people realize they need God because their life is so messed up? Yes. Is that love? No. That's desperation. Okay? The person is drowning in a pool and cries out to the lifeguard is not crying out in love. Okay? They're crying out in desperation. Okay? This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. And the us becomes critical here. Why? Because the objects of his love are people in the world. Everyone in the world is fallen and broken by sin. He loves us. In spite of our story, in spite of our sin, in spite of our brokenness, he loves us. We are the determined objects, if you will, of his affection. His love is clarified in Jesus Verse 9 says that it, is, it is clarified in the fact that he sent his son. 1 John 3 and verse 5. If you just look back one page, says this. It says, you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. Okay, how do I know God loves me? Because he sent Jesus Christ to take away, to bear the consequence of my sin, to bear the wrath of God that I deserve. And I think one of the keys as we think about this is to look at how God in this setting loves. Okay? Because I, if you go back to 1 John chapter 2 and verse, verse 2 or verse 1, here's what John says. Okay? John says, my dear children, I write to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, it's not a big deal because God is love. Okay? I just totally created the second half of that verse. Okay? The gospel is not simply that God is love. The gospel is also that God is holy. So it's not that if you sin, hey, you know what? It's not a big deal because God is loving. No, I mean, the key is how he loves. In love, God desires to rescue sinners 
in his holiness, he can't close his eyes to your sin. So what happens? He takes your sin and places it upon Jesus Christ who came to bear away your sin, to bear the wrath of God that you deserve for your sin. And you go free. That is love. It is that sacrificial giving of the Father, of His Son in verse 10. This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. How do you know? He sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for my sin and for yours. His love is not a soft love that overlooks sin. His love is a holy and fierce love that comes and that wrestles in the garden of Gethsemane. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not what I want. But what you ordained in eternity past, Jesus says, that I would die on the cross and bear the wrath that is deserved by sinful people. Folks, here's what makes this amazing. The love that the Father and the Son and the Spirit had was eternal. Context, Trinity. Jesus stepped out of that relationship at some level so that he could die on Calvary's cross to bear the price for your sin. You say, Pastor Tim, how do you know that? How do you know that the eternal love of God, John uh, chapter 17, verse 25, that was experienced in the Godhead for eternity and that Jesus prayed that you and I would know that love? How do you know it was broken at some level? Because Jesus Christ on the cross would cry out and say what? As he became sin for us, a wrath-removing sacrifice for us, what did he say? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because he came what you and I are. He took the wrath of God against enemies and bore it upon himself. That is love, folks. That is love. And that's why John can say, this is love. Not us moving towards God, but God moving towards us. It's understandable that we would try to move towards God. It is not explainable that God would move towards us. That's what J.I. Packer means when he says, this is spontaneous. There is no explanation for it. The love of God for rebels is a miracle. God sent his son. His son came to die. 1 John 3 and verse 8, if you just look at this verse quickly. It says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Now this is amazing, because what do we think? Most people tend to look at the cross, if you don't know anything about the gospel, and you are brought into the story of Jesus, and you don't understand what it's about, Jesus looks like what? He looks like a martyr or a victim. Right? A man who died because of his cause. He's, he pushed too far. He, things got out of control. And he lost his life. 1 John 3, 8 says, the Son of Man was revealed to destroy, to conquer the works of the devil. That is the love that God has for you and I, folks. It is a fierce love that gets dirty with sin and then conquers the consequences of our sin by his death on the cross. That is to me an amazing, fierce, self-sacrificing, atoning love of God. Because in his death, what is Jesus doing? He is satisfying the demands of God's holy law. And I think it's so important that we understand this. That's why I say it's not a soft love. It's not God being amicable and kind. 
No, it's God satisfying the wrath that I deserve by placing it on his son and allowing his blood, holy, righteous blood, to cleanse me from sin and to destroy in our lives the works of the devil. That is a battle. So that Jesus on the cross is not a martyr for a cause. He is a conquering king. Think about that. Who conquers death by what? Not by avoiding it, but by entering into it. So that you and I would have what? The greatest assurance that this love is the true epitome of love. And that if you want to understand love, you have to look at the cross and allow that gaze at the cross to transform you. A selfless, self-sacrificing love. A few weeks ago, I watched a movie called Active Valor, story of Navy SEALs and their training and in their combat. End of the movie, there's a live grenade thrown on the floor in a room full of Navy SEALs in a combat activity. One of the men, the leader of the group, looks at the grenade and makes a decision spontaneously to jump on top of that. He would die. Others would live. Story of uh, Miss Soto, the teacher in Newtown, Connecticut. Who shielded her children in her class by giving up her life. And that's love. But I want you to understand this. There's a difference between the love of Christ and that. See, those are all reactions in a moment. The love of Christ is determined from eternity past. He didn't come, maybe something happened, maybe it wouldn't. No, he was born, the Bible tells us, to die and to bear the consequence of our sin. That's why John says, this is love. God sent his son. You have to stop there and say, okay, just hang on a second. God sent Jesus. Out of the context of their eternal love, he sent him, commissioned him to die to bear the price of my sin. That's why John steps back and says, this is love. That's why the Apostle Paul's response to that kind of love is this. I am crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, what do you find? Over and over, over, you find the love of God tied to the giving of his son, Jesus Christ. John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only son. So the love of God is a predisposition to sacrificially send his son to meet your greatest need, to pay the price for your sin so that you could be forgiven. And John says, he says, that's love. There's all kinds of things we look at and we see love. I see love in that active valor. I see love in that teacher shielding her children. Those loves are not like this love. The amazing love of God, which Paul will later say is a love that is incomprehensible. Ephesians 3. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, I pray that you may have power together with the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and Deep and wide is the love of God. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Which is what? It's to say this. In our Christian life, what are we doing? We're trying to get our arms around mentally the love of God. But we can't. This is a very frustrating sermon to prepare, to be quite honest with you. Glorious and frustrating. You know why? I can't understand it. I'm trying to get words to explain to you the unexplainable. 
What does that make me? It makes me stupid. Okay? You, you know it, but you, you can't explain it. It's, it's, it's love that defies explanation. That's, that's what John, John is saying here. John's saying, I want you to know, experience, and then I want you to rest in this kind of love. Folks, do you understand this for eternity? We will struggle and wrestle to grasp the love of God. And we will come to know it in deeper and deeper and deeper and more complicated ways than we know it today. Why? Because here's what Paul says. Paul says, now we see through a glass dimly. But then face to face. I mean, I'm amazed by what I know today. What will sight be? It's looking at pictures of the Grand Canyon and looking at the Grand Canyon. They're completely different things. One amazes me. One scares me to death. Okay? That's the way it is with Jesus. That's the way it is with the love of God. One day we're going to realize this is a fierce, holy love. How does the world around us get to see this love? Well, see, that's the question. He said, Paul said, or James, John says, I get all these names in my mind. I can do the whole New Testament for you if you want me to. Okay? John says, we know experience personally, and we rest in this love. How does the world out there get to hear about it? How can they know a love like that? How can, we, how can we communicate this kind of love to them? How can we shock them with this kind of love? Here's what Paul or John ends by saying. He says, dear friends, since God so loved us. So what is he? He exalts the cross of Christ and he says, that's how God, that is love. And you're an object of it. You're an object of his affection, of his passion. Since God so loved us, we Ought, and the idea here is simply word obligation. God wasn't obligated to me. I am obligated to him. We ought to love one another. And then he makes this amazing statement that seems like, okay, where's this coming from? No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us. Now think about that. <clears throat> no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, what happens? God takes on what? Skin. God lives in us. John chapter 1 says, no one has seen God at any time. But Jesus has made him known. Well, Jesus came and he fills us with his spirit, with his personal presence. And he says, now go. Knowing that kind of love that is undeserved, that is sacrificial, that is self-effacing, knowing that kind of love. Go out into your world. Practice selfless love. Love people that don't deserve it. Love that person at work that is just difficult and is always trying to stab you in the back. Love them. Why? Because that's who Jesus loved. He loved his enemies. His love becomes visible in our loving of others. People around you can't see God, but they can see God in you. They can see something in you that is so compelling that must be attributed to the work of the Spirit that they become curious about what makes the difference in your life. So never doubt that you can be loved. If you're here this morning and you say, you know what, Pastor Tim, I've heard about this gospel and I, I, I've thought about trusting Christ, but you know what, I, I just, I don't, I don't know. Let the Spirit of God overwhelm you with this truth of God's love for you, of God's choice of you, of His grace towards you. Let that overwhelm you. And cry out in repentance and faith. Say, God, save me. I don't have hope outside of you, God. Save me. 
Remember that as you live, you have an audience that is longing for true love, folks. Listen. That's why they write the song, what the, all the world needs is love. Love, right? People are longing for it. Where are they going to see it? They should see it in the people that are indwelt by the Spirit of God, which is love. Work that in our interactions. Could someone observing your life Learn about God's love from the quality of the love that you show towards your wife, towards your co-workers, towards your children, towards your neighbor, towards a friend at school. Could someone watching you say, there's something different about you, something distinct, something unique? Folks, we have the privilege of putting Jesus on display for a watching world. And as you seek to do it, don't do it by a choice. Let it be motivated by His love for you. Remember how he loves you, and then you should be able to love others. God is love. Thank you, Lord, for your truth this morning.